Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from Elevate Church in Perth, Australia. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app, available wherever you download your apps. Well, good morning. It's pretty good, wasn't it? Hey, uh, good to have you all here this morning, and also a special shout out to those of you listening via our podcast around the world. We've just closed the chapter on uh, November, uh, aka my birth month, um, and uh, happy to say two new countries have made it into our top 10. Uh, no, no opportunity to guess uh, which two countries they are, but the answer, if you're trying, is Belgium and Finland. So, there you go. So, here we go. A uh, quick uh, hello or bonjour to our Belgique uh, listeners, depending on whether you live in the Flemish part of Belgium or the French part of Belgium. Uh, and if, for those of you uh, in Finland listening, moi. Mm, there you go. So, how about we welcome them to our podcast. Great, great to know that God uses technology to advance his message around the world, and we have ready access to that, which is very, very, very cool. Hey, uh, in case you missed it, uh, Christmas is coming up, and one of the things that happens every single year is there's a, there is a turf war that goes on for yours and my attention. There's, there's, there's a competition to get our attention, and with getting our attention, to cause us to allocate our time and our money and our resources to... Uh, things that have won that turf war, whether that's retailers, uh, whether that's uh, uh, calendar requests, whatever it is. And one of the things that we, ironically, that can so easily get nudged out or, or sort of pushed down the list is Jesus. And I say ironically because that's kind of like, at least most of us, I think, uh, would agree or believe that uh, Christmas is about Jesus. And so as a church, we recognize this, and we're not trying to tell retailers to shut up or, or, uh, or uh, people to stop inviting you to their, their parties. Instead, we want to make sure that we're injecting Jesus into our field of view in the run-up to Christmas. So great that you're here this morning launching this new series, The Unsettling Solution for Just About Everything. And contrary to some cheeky social media responses this week, the answer is not duct tape, although... That's probably a close second. <laughs> I had lunch with one of my buddies uh, who leads a church in Perth. I had lunch with him this week. And, you know, when I chat with church leaders, uh, other church leaders, we, you know, we're sharing ideas on how we can achieve our mission better, best practices, and in our case, how we can reach more people, build more people. And uh, I, I, I asked this question uh, just in the, in the lunch. I said, Tim, do you ever, do you ever wonder why some people wouldn't want Christianity to be true. And it, like his head just literally popped off his shoulders in that moment. Because it's not a question that he'd asked before. And it doesn't make me a genius, but here's the question. So before your head pops off your shoulders, have you ever wondered why some of the people you know wouldn't want Christianity to be true? Because there's a difference between some of your friends telling you, I don't believe Christianity is true, than saying, I don't want Christianity to be true. Because here's the big idea of Christianity. 
and, and the original idea, not the idea that we've probably distorted over 2,000 years and different churches carry different brands and different emphases and none of us are doing it the way Jesus did it. But the way Jesus did it was pretty attractive. He was pretty popular. And in fact, the early church was also quite popular to the point where it became the, the, the uh, leading worldview of the Roman Empire in its day. Um, and the big idea is that God sent his son Jesus. Now, I get it. Right at that moment, you're like, I can't believe that's true. I get it. But, would, but, but, but why wouldn't you want that to be true? That God, instead of being distant and aloof and, and up there and sort of not caring, or if he did care, it's only so he can whack us with a big stick when we do something wrong, that, what, that, that actually he intervened, and he intervened by sending the only thing that he only had one of, and that was his son. And, and the reason he sent his son in, in, in human form to this earth was because God knew that you and I were doing things and carrying around things that we're actually kind of getting in the way of having an unfettered, unfiltered relationship with God. So he sent his only son, and his son taught, and people loved his teaching, and, and he, uh, he uh, uh, produced miracles, and people loved the miracles. I mean, why wouldn't you want that to be true? Why wouldn't you want it to be true that someone says, treat other people as you'd want to be treated? Why wouldn't you want, if you've got someone, or maybe it's you, that, that, that can't walk or can't see or can't hear, that God actually sent someone with the power to actually heal that, to fix that? Well, we read those stories, and those stories are written by eyewitnesses, not just by, like, you know, fiction writers. Uh, but even if you still think, oh, it still seems a little bit hard to believe. Yeah, but wouldn't you want it to be true? And, and, then, and then this guy, Jesus, who claimed, and other people claimed on his behalf as well, uh, died on a cross and, and said that in that, in that moment, in that, in that shedding of his blood on the cross, that he actually took yours and my sin on him, which is like, how does that work? And I haven't got time to go into that, but that's the great exchange that happened in that moment. And that you and I, if we chose to put our faith in him, could be free of, of the weight of guilt and sin and shame. Again, whether you believe it, that it's true, I get it. That's, that's a bit of a stumbling block. It's a bit far-fetched for some people. But, but wouldn't you want it to be true? That, that in life, that there's an actual gift of freedom from guilt and shame. Hmm. And, then, and then this, this, this guy, Jesus, now, here, now here, okay. up to that point, everything's just kind of like, okay, sure. There's a guy, and he got crucified, and between birth and death, he did some teaching and miracles, and we get that, and we love that. But now some people are claiming that the guy actually rose from the dead. I mean, come on now. Come on now. I mean, I, I can't believe that's true. But here's the thing. He says when he rose from the, the grave, he, he, he came back to life, that he conquered death. And that if you put your faith in him, you too could have an eternal relationship with God. That death is not in your future. Again, whether you believe that's true, I get it. It's a hard bridge for some people to cross. But wouldn't you want it to be true? So I ask that question, like... Why wouldn't you want Christianity to be true? Now, here's the thing. You would expect that I, leading a church, believe it's true. I mean, you'd hope that I, leading a church, believe that Christianity is true. I do, okay? If you didn't know that before, it's now on record on the podcast. Mark Pomery, leading, leading a Christian church, believes Christianity is true. All right. But if I didn't, there's one word 
that would make me want to believe it's true. And the word is grace. Now, grace is a churchy word. We don't, I mean, when's the last time you used that in a conversation with someone who's not a church person? Probably never. So I won't give you the church version. There's a pretty impressive church version. Okay, you're smart, you would have get it, but I'll spare you that one. Let me give you the, the not churchy definition of grace. And it's simply this. What you crave when you get caught. You said to your spouse, babe, tonight I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. Tonight I'm going to be home in time for dinner. When dinner's finished, I will clear the table and I will get the kids ready for bed and I will tuck them into bed and I'll read the story and you can have a pretty cruisy night off. But, you know, you get about 5 p.m. at work, you open the cover letter of the new project and it starts to kind of get your motor running and so you kind of... Mm, start digging into that project and before you realize time's run away from you and you pull in the driveway you walk in the front door and dinner's been over for a couple of hours now and the kids are long in bed and in that moment what you're craving from your spouse is grace when that person that you've been gossiping about actually finds out that you've been gossiping about them and they confront you about that you realize you're guilty, you wish they hadn't sprung you, but what you're craving for in that confrontation is grace. The boss calls you into their office and asks you how you're going with that thing that you promised to deliver by this day, and the fact of the matter is you haven't even started it, and when you have to confess that to your boss, what you're craving in that moment is grace. Because the essence of grace is giving another person who is guilty of the crime, is giving them what they don't deserve. And, and we all want that. We crave that. We know we're guilty. When, when you're guilty, no one has to remind you. Like, but wow, wow. Wow, if when I'm guilty, the person across the table from me gives me what I don't deserve. And that's grace. See, this is how grace works. Grace requires two factors. One, it requires that we're carrying a weight. And we get that. Whether the weight is guilt, whether the weight is shame, whether the weight is regret, whether the, the, whatever it is, we, we're carrying a weight. Everyone carries a weight. If you're not carrying a weight, you don't need grace, but we all carry weights. And then it requires somebody with the ability to lift that weight off our shoulders because the thing about those weights is we can't lift them off ourselves. If we could, we would have done it already. So it requires somebody. In other words, it requires a relational transaction. And God knew this. And that's why he sent somebody. He didn't just wave a magic wand from heaven. He sent somebody. He sent his son in human form as the someone with the ability to remove the weight. So what I want to do this morning is, I, look, I know that 
many of you, like me, believe Christianity to be true. I don't know if it's the story for all of you. I hope it's not because I hope as a church we're continually... God bringing people in who don't believe Christianity is true and giving us the opportunity to interact and maybe, just maybe, they'll consider stepping towards a Jesus that we, most of us, already believe to be who he says he's going to be. But let me just give us a little flyover today. Whether you believe Christianity to be true or not, a flyover of, of why you would, at the very least, I hope, maybe, want Christianity to be true. So if you've got our Elevate Church AU app, you can tap on the Bible tile, and it's going to take you to a letter. Uh, letter? No, it's not a letter. Well, it's like a, it's like a, a thing. We call it a book. I'm not sure it was a book, but a, a lot of words on paper by a guy named John. Now, open that, and it's just going to take you to one little verse, and this little verse is super chunky, and I'll break it down in a moment. But let me give you a little bit of context of who's this John guy. Now, John was one of Jesus' chosen 12, uh, and he was actually the youngest of Jesus' chosen 12. In fact, so much so, uh, he, was so um, he was so close to Jesus, and Jesus actually referred to him as the one, or he was referred, well, actually, no. He referred to himself as the one that Jesus loved, which kind of shoots it in the foot a little bit. But anyway... Everyone kind of let him get away with that. But he was there right from the beginning of Jesus' public ministry around the age of 30. And he was there for the whole three and a half years. And this is one of the, the 12. Some of the 12 that, that were Jesus' chosen disciples didn't get to see everything that Jesus did. He, in a couple of instances, he actually gathered a few, like handpicked them out of the 12 and took them for a little look behind the curtain. Well, John was always one of them. So it's kind of safe to say that John saw it all. Okay, he was literally a, a, a witness to the whole thing. Three and a half years, everything that Jesus said and did. And he was the only one of Jesus' 12 followers who died of natural causes. And it's considered that most of Jesus' 12 followers were illiterate. And so anything that was written by them was probably actually not written but dictated. Because in those days, people didn't necessarily go to school to learn how to read and write. That was a, a select profession, a, a, that of a scribe. So if you were a fisherman, you didn't need to read or write. You just needed to learn how to catch fish. But that's a problem if you wanted to actually write something down. But what you would do is you would go to a scribe, you would dictate it, and that scribe would write it down. So it's quite plausible that John, towards the, the end of his life, is, is, is thinking to himself, you know what? I saw some pretty cool stuff. In the three and a half years that I was following Jesus, I saw the miracles, I heard the teaching, um, I saw the death and I saw the resurrection. I met him after he'd popped back out of the grave again. I probably need to write this down before it's too late and, and, and have it written down. And, and then if it's written down, other people can, can see this as well. So that's quite plausible that, J that John gathered a scribe or three and started to dictate this. So right back at the beginning, and you sort of picture this. You know, one of the problems with reading the Bible is we read it like it's the Bible. But sometimes you get more out of it if you read it like it was actually in the setting that it was written, which would be like John, like, I don't know, cigar, I don't know. But the point is just dictating stuff like, okay, guys, all right, all right, got this ready, quills ready, papyrus ready. Okay, okay, let me start with this. All right, uh, yeah, this is how I'm going to say it. The word became flesh. And, uh, uh, and made his dwelling among us. Right? Got that? Write that down? Good, good. The word became flesh 
and made his dwelling. He's talking about God, the word, the one who spoke creation into existence by his words. He, that's a good way to describe it, the word, because John's got like a bit of a poetic thing going on there. He's like, you know, wearing purple overalls and smoking CBD oil. Uh, uh, the word, yes, and look I, look, I can't even, I don't even think I need to explain him on that. I'm just going to say, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Everyone got that? Got that? Okay, cool. Right, ready? Ready? Now, we, 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 now, he, this is John. When he's talking about we, he's not talking about us. He's talking about we, we, me, we, John, me, we, me, and uh uh, there, there was Peter and, and Peter and, you know, the 12. We have seen his glory. We didn't hear about it. We didn't read about it. We saw it. We, we were there. Writing this down, good, okay. The glory of the one and only son. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, okay, what's next? Uh, oh, yeah, this is, this is good, this is good, this is good. Who came... From the Father, I think I've mentioned that before, but write it down, write it down. Uh, full of grace and truth. Do you get that? Don't just write grace. Well, what? No, 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 no. Don't just write truth. No, no. Full. No, 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 not half full. No, no, no. Rub that out. Rub. No, no, no. Full of. No, not half full of grace, half full of truth. Full of grace and truth. All right, we got it? Because John's trying to get across through the scribes to anyone and everyone who's going to read this into the future, which today includes you and me. He's trying to get to us that one of the things that Jesus came to do was to reveal what God is really like. Because up to that point, no one had seen him. No one had met him. They'd read about him. They'd heard him speak through prophets. But in terms of actually meeting God in the flesh, face to face, that's one of the reasons. And John said, that's one of the reasons God sent him, so that you and I could understand what God's really like. And you know one of the things he's really like is that he's full of grace and truth. Now, I could do a quick survey. I'm not going to do it. I did it with our team members. It was a fail. So, you know, they were the crash test dummies and most people got hurt, so I won't do it here. But let me just suppose for a minute. Some of you that grew up in churches, I suppose that some of you maybe grew up in a church that was a bit more on the grace end of the spectrum. Meaning, you know, we love everyone and, and we forgive everyone and, and oh, it's okay, it's okay. Uh, and some of you maybe grew up in a truth church where you're shoving the Bible down everyone's throat and you can't sin because you're a pathetic loser. Uh, some of you maybe grew up in grace families, whether you're even Christian or not. Just grew up in grace families that were very in, in, inclusive and very welcoming and you, you, you always had people at the dinner table that you hadn't even met before because mom had dragged some stray home from the shopping center. You're a grace family. So others use a truth family. Don't dare tell dad what you did today when, you said, when your teacher did, said that to you. No, 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 because you know, you know what he's like. Some of you are a grace person and you married a truth person. And you've been wondering since you said your wedding vows why it's so incredibly difficult 
in your relationship because you're seeing things from the other side of the same coin. And yet Jesus was none of those things. He was all of that. He was full of grace and truth. And this was, would have been unsettling to the people reading this. Because up to that point, God was known for the truth. Up to that point, he was no, God was known up to that point that if you did something wrong, you will get what you deserve. If you did something bad, you will get what you deserve. If you did something evil, he would punish you and, and you would get that. You'd be like, yeah, all right, fair enough. I guess I deserve that. Everyone's looking at you going, yep, fair enough. I guess they deserve that. Nobody, nobody had a problem with it. But all of a sudden, John is introducing and reminding people that Jesus came to show everyone what God was like and that God was full of grace and truth. And this would have been incredibly unsettling. Because all of a sudden, you add grace into the mix, and Jesus starts to tell some people that you won't get what you deserve because of grace. And that would have been incredibly unsettling. But Jesus never watered down the truth. So like all the truth people are like, yeah, preach it, Mark. Sick him. <laughs> but he never dialed down the grace either. He was all grace, all truth, all the time. Let me show you a couple of examples in Jesus' life where this happened. So Jesus walking along, and he walks past a guy who's a tax collector. His name's Matthew. He's a tax collector. He's got a booth. <laughs> it's like you had to go to the guy to give the taxes. You didn't want to give him the first place, but you got to do all the work. Bring them. And tax collectors in that day, and remember this was, this was uh, the, the, the Jewish uh, part of the world that had been occupied by the Romans. And the Romans imposed the tax on the Jewish people that had to be collected and then sent back to Rome. But the tax was collected by Jewish people who worked in the employ of the Roman Empire. In other words, you were working for the enemy. You were actually considered a traitor if you were a tax collector. Plus, it was pretty common in those days for those same traitorous tax collectors to just take a little bit extra not let Rome know about that because they wanted to skim it and put it in their own coffers. So they were getting Rome rich on the people and they were getting themselves rich on the people. So Jesus rolls up to one of those guys and says, his name is Matthew. He goes, hey, Matthew, how about you and I get together for dinner? And Matthew's like, what? Because Jesus is a rabbi. Everyone knew he was a rabbi. And, and rabbis didn't associate with tax collectors. Jesus says, hey, how about we get together for dinner? And Matthew's like, uh, wh wh uh, where? And Jesus goes, oh, uh, your house. It's pretty nice, all that money you've been stealing. Um, now, now <laughs> Jesus is a rabbi. Shouldn't even be talking to this guy. Matthew's family likely wouldn't have even gone for an invitation to dinner at Matthew's house. It was likely they would have disowned him up to this point in his life because he's a traitor. He's working for the enemy stealing money from his fellow Jewish people. And Matthew's like, um, uh, <clears throat> okay. It's very unsettling. And then he says, uh, Matthew says, uh, who, who should we invite for this dinner? And, and Jesus goes, oh, invite all your friends, all your colleagues. And he's like, uh, Jesus, my friends aren't like you. 
and you sure ain't like my friends. I find this very unsettling. And then, and then there's the disciples off to Jesus' side, his, his advisors, you know, like Jesus needs our advice. Advisor, Jesus, you, you want to go to his house for dinner? He hasn't even said he's going to stop collecting taxes yet. He, he, and if he, if he did, which he didn't, he certainly hasn't said he's going to pay it all back. And you're going to go to his house for dinner is very unsettling. For everyone except Jesus. So they're having dinner. <laughs> and then the religious leaders turn up. Now, religious leaders in that day would walk around with their hands like this so that they didn't have to touch anyone or anything because they didn't want to become unclean, because if they were unclean, they would have been disqualified from performing some of their religious duties. They went near, but almost certainly not in Matthew's house, because they wouldn't go into a house where Matthew and his mates are, because it, it would be unclean, and their reputation would also be soiled. And this is what is recorded about this moment. When the Pharisees, the religious leaders, saw Jesus keeping this kind of company... <laughs> They had a fit and lit into Jesus' followers. Now, here's the thing. They probably wouldn't have come in the house. Maybe some of Jesus' followers were hanging out by the window. Maybe they were having a smoke out the front. I don't know. But the point is that the religious leaders didn't come in, but they kind of like, tell your boss this. What kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with crooks and riffraff? And then Jesus makes an awkward situation even more awkward. Because these days, they, they, in this era, they didn't have double-glazed windows, so noise would sort of travel. So it's almost certain even though they were outside and Jesus was inside, he would have heard them. So <laughs> Jesus overhearing shut back, Oh, yeah? Who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? Now, again, pretend for a moment this isn't in the Bible. Just, just picture yourself in that situation. Here's Matthew. Just heard, heard this. Chances are he said to Jesus, Hey, oi, you're in my house. Are you calling me sick? And Jesus is like, yeah, I am. You're stealing money from your own people. That's the truth. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I wanted your friends to be here. Because though I know you're guilty, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. The truth is you're guilty, and yet I'm going to lead you to something better. And then, I love this. I love Jesus. Great attitude. He didn't finish. He's given this one. It's a rhetorical question. Stiffen the religious leaders. He then gives them this one. They're meant to be the experts in the law. If you didn't know something about God, you had a question, you'd go to them, and they'd give you the right answer. So Jesus goes, all right, go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. And this interaction is the message of Christianity. This interaction is the message of Christmas, that Jesus chooses to lean in to people who are guilty and to extend to them grace and truth. Why wouldn't anyone want this to be true? And there's another one. I'll give you a quick fly of another one real quickly. 
And I've preached about this twice already this year. This is how sort of mind-blowing this is, that this is like less than number three from the same interaction. That The first two, we started the year with the Road Trip with Jesus series, and I preached a message called Road to a Second Chance from this story. We had a series called Things Jesus Never Said, and I preached a message called Go Do Whatever Makes You Happy. You can get back into that and kind of help you understand this more fully. But this is John again. John's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember this time. All right, write this down, write this down. I remember this time. Hearing that, they walked away. This is, so what had happened is uh, some religious leaders uh, had, had found this woman the night before, mind you, caught uh, doing the dance with no pants with someone that she's not married to. They fished her out of there. They held her overnight, which is like, Really? This is the religious leaders doing this sort of stuff. Still naked, still on display at all of them overnight. And when the temple opened in the morning and Jesus was getting there to get into the temple, they, 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 they try to trap him by throwing this woman that they caught, kept in, in overnight and thrown down in front of Jesus and said, hey, 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 Jesus, you know the law? The law says she wasn't meant to be doing that, and she was, and we caught her, and here she is. And so the law says we should kill her by throwing stones at her. And Jesus is like, yeah, look, in his head, guys, you're trying to outsmart me. It's never going to work. So, he, in, so you say, should we throw stones at her? We're in front of the temple. You're meant to be the upholders of the moral standard of our society. So I, I don't think you're going to do this, but... But, okay, the, the one of you or those of you that have never sinned yourselves, how about you throw the first stone? And uh, hearing that, they walked away one after another, beginning with the oldest, which, by the way, is a little lesson. The youngest was still thinking, well, maybe, maybe I'm still in with a chance. And the oldest was like, no, 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 no. I mean, we might have done more sins than you because we've been around longer, but we know that you, no, 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 no. Pulled him away, and the woman was left alone. Jesus stood and spoke to her. Woman, who are they? I'm sorry, where are they? Does no one condemn you? And she's like, yeah, okay, no one. Master, well, neither do I. Jesus gave her what she craved when she got caught. She knew she was guilty. I mean, Her accusers wanted to make sure everyone else knew that she was guilty. And Jesus didn't actually wipe away the facts. He gave us something better. See, the facts were, yeah, I, I get it. You got caught doing that. You got brought here. Yes, but, but, and that's the truth. But I, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you what you're craving. What you're craving is grace. Again, up to now in history, that's not how God worked. The law required she be stoned to death. And Jesus says, yeah, that was yesterday. And now I'm here. And I'm better. And I'm going to point to something better. And I'm going to lead you to something better. But then Jesus ruins the moment and says to her, go on your way and from now on, don't sin. Full of grace and truth. Didn't condemn and didn't condone. Met her where she was at and then let 
pointed her to something better. He didn't actually say to her, promise me you're going to stop sinning and then I'll tell you you're forgiven. You see, that's how religion works. Get things fixed up and then maybe you'll be presentable enough to be able to come to Jesus. And Jesus instead, he went to Matthew. He walked to her on the ground and then pointed them always to something better, grace and truth. Grace is an invitation. Jesus gave an invitation, and I want to give us an invitation this morning, just like Jesus did when he walked the earth. And the invitation was, come follow me. And if you've never said yes to that invitation, if you've never said, yes, Jesus, I will follow you, then this morning, I mean, what a great start to the Christmas season. If you've never said yes to following Jesus, to accepting this gift of grace from the one who promises he can lift the weight off you and give you something better, to say yes to him this morning, to say, yes, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are, and I will follow you from this morning forward. If that's you, and I know many of you have made this decision, you've said yes to following Jesus before, but for those of you that haven't, this is your opportunity right now. And all I want you to do in a moment is just put your hand up. And you're saying, to, not to me, you're saying to God, but I'll see your hand. Then I'll know to, to pray for you from up here. Uh, but if you've never said yes to following Jesus, how about you do that now? How about you just put your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. That's me this morning. I, I'm, I'm committing to that. I always wanted to be true, and there's a sense in me this morning that, that actually what Jesus said and did is true. Before I invite Louis up, let me do one more thing. You and I know people who don't yet believe Christianity is true, but I wonder if they would consider Jesus if they knew what the actual invitation was. So here's what I want to do. Just We've got to run up to Christmas. Christmas, we're having two live experiences, Sunday morning, 10 to 11, Tuesday night, which is Christmas Eve, 6 to 7. So you can come to one or both. But it, we've actually duplicated that, not so that you and I can be consumers, but that we would have two opportunities to invite people along. Some people can come Sunday, can't come Tuesday. Some Tuesday can't come Sunday. And some will say no. Fine, we get that. But don't say they're no for them. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of them, the name, the names, could be a neighbor, a family member, a colleague, a distant relative, but somebody that they, not a church person, or maybe they used to be, but they kind of drifted away. I'm going to pray for them right now. Now, you've got their name. I don't have their name. But let's, let's, let's not settle for it just being you. I'll be here. Because... If what Jesus said is true, then this really is a matter of life and death. And so we get an opportunity, like never before in the calendar year, when Christmas rolls around, to invite people who may be more likely than other times of the year to say yes. So let me pray for those names that you've got in your heart and mind right now. God, we lift these people up to you, these names, these, these family members, these colleagues, these neighbors, uh, these fellow students, whoever they are. 
God, that maybe are not yet following you, that you would use us individually to be investing and inviting in these weeks leading up to Christmas, that they would just have the opportunity to at least be exposed to something more than what they might otherwise be exposed to about Jesus, who you are and why you came and what's in it for them, (laughs) what they crave when they get caught, that you put the amazing into grace. Give us favor, give us opportunity, give us discernment, give us a sensitivity to your Holy Spirit to know what to say, when to say it. And uh, we trust, God, that you're working already, preparing their hearts and their minds for this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a privilege to play our part in all that God is doing in and through you. To find out what your next step could be or to partner with us to reach more and more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and download our Elevate Church AU app, available wherever you download your apps.